Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. It's engaging and it's heartening that in, in this kind of community, you're not defined by, uh, you're not defined by a post or a position. Uh, you're defined by who you are. Welcome to the Adventure Podcast and episode 82 with Chris Dyer. Chris is a crofter and lives on his small holding on the Shetland Islands off the coast of northern Scotland. He moved there from England some time ago and has built a life for himself amongst the once derelict stone walls of Garth's Croft, the property he bought and renovated. In this episode, I chat to Chris about his life on the islands, the traditions of the place and why they're important and why living a quieter, simpler, deliberately harder life might be the way forward. Over to Chris Dyer. Right, we're rock and roll. It would be ace if you could just start by giving us some context of who you are, what your background is, where we are now, and what we're doing sat here today. Absolutely, Matt. So my name's Chris Dyer. We are sat in a stone-lined buyer agricultural building at the south end of the island of Bressa in Shetland, in the Shetland Islands. So on the same latitude as the southern tip of Greenland, uh, same latitude as over to Moscow in the east. And we're sat here because you fine people have come to have a look at the... Uh, sustainable agriculture and, and, and lifestyle that we endeavour to lead here. Uh, so my professional background is as an archaeologist, uh, working all over the United Kingdom for a number of years, and then moved up to the Shetland Islands, uh, island hopping north, to uh, about 15 years or so ago, to undertake an archaeological job, an archaeological post, which I still fulfil to this day, and in addition as so many people seem to do, fell into a lifestyle that appealed and I found rather stimulating and engaging, which was the raising of livestock, the managing of the land and, um, yeah, the pursuit of happiness, I guess. <laughs> yeah, maybe that's a subject for towards the end of this conversation. But um, where did the archaeology side of things come from, the passion to start with that? So I, I was born, as you, as you can tell my, by, by my accent, I'm, I'm by no means a... A Scot, I'm known as a Shetlander. Uh, I'm from, I was born in Hitchin, uh, quite close to Luton in the southeast of England. Uh, always, always influenced by, by history, by archaeology around me. I think growing up in that particular town, it's lovely medieval timber lined buildings and ecclesiastical 
structures and so on, and that always appealed, I think. Going around places with my father, who was a marine biologist, so I'd often kind of tag along on various surveys and we'd stop in, you know, working out in East Anglia and stop and so, oh, I'm just going to do a little detour to a church here, find yourself up a tower looking at a tapestry, and it was all gravestones and headstones. So that, that always really appealed. So I I left Hitchin in the, in the late 90s and went to university, went to the city of, of Hull on the East Coast, um, which which was just, yeah, fascinating, really, really cool city. And so I studied there for four, four years, work, well, studied in archaeology and history, historical research, undergraduate and, and master's and so on. And then I, f following that, started to work for a contracting unit that worked in field archaeology. So that's to say, for example, you know, someone's putting up a block of flats or they're excavating a quarry in what's interpreted to be an archaeologically sensitive area it's a bit time team and you have you know clocks ticking you've got you've got days weeks or months to undertake an archaeological assessment to interpret and curate what's there sometimes it can be preserved in situ sometimes it has to be excavated away um, and that gave me a tremendous ground across the, the north of England of yeah kind of chronologically varied sites underground from 2000 year old Iron Age and Roman villas to um, Anglo-Saxon structures, Viking, medieval, some fantastic medieval timber-lined waterfronts that were sort of five metres below the, the, the present-day ground surface. So you'd be, you'd be working in these archaeological trenches in the middle of the city and uh, so you'd be five metres below, below ground, kind of in and all the sort of glamorous shoppers would be going into Dorothy Perkins up above you and you'd just be covered from head to toe in sort of quite literally medieval deposits <laughs> of, of a varying hue and um, but no I just, I just thought this is brilliant this is fascinating all kind of um, sawn and worked oaks that had been used as piles for, for jetties to put into the silt where all the medieval merchants would have come and done their thing uh, so that was that was that was fascinating um, and what, what I started doing, so I, I worked Monday to Friday in archaeology, and uh, the, the, the sort of tenuous link to agriculture here is, so at the weekends when you're young and free and in your 20s and I don't have a huge number of, of ties and commitments, and I, so I'd work in archaeology through the week and in, in the weekends I'd, I'd go and work on archaeological research projects or digs, you know, because I was, I was just really fired by history, by archaeology, by landscape trying to read the signs in the landscape which is what you do every day in Shetland. Shetland's just a just a tapestry and, and you can you can see it in the landscape you can see thousand year old structures you know from what from where we're looking now out of the bio. So I, I'd rock up and help on various archaeological uh, you know research projects like geophysical surveys where you're going along and uh, putting electromagnetic magnetic pulses into the ground to try and endeavour to um, prospect what's what's beneath the surface. And we were working on a job once in Yorkshire and uh, uh, the landowners came along it was sort of expressing a bit of interest. It was a university project, I think. I, I, I was just a, you know, a bit of a donkey for the day. And uh, so the guys came along and I got chatting with them towards the end of the day and oh, what do you do, what do you do? So they had this farm in, in Yorkshire, a lovely couple. And uh, so I made the sort of, you know, throwaway line of, oh, if you, ever, if you ever need a hand, you know, if you ever need a hand doing anything, just give us a bell, give my number. And a couple of weeks went by, maybe, maybe months went by, and um, I got a missed voicemail one night, and it was this this uh, fellow phoned up and he'd said, "Oh, actually, we're doing a bit of fencing this weekend. We could we could do with a do with a hand." 
So I then, my weekends would, would start to be spent going out to this farm with this, you know, beautiful, lovely couple and, and, and learning about the, um, yeah, putting, putting theory into practice. You know, how, how do you put up a fence? How do you, um, yeah, how do you plant a woodland? How do you, how do you coppice? How do you, you do all these things? You know, how do you, how do you roof buildings? How do you put up electric fences? All, all that kind of thing. Um, so yeah, and, and so that, 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 that link, that tangible link between uh, perhaps a professional discipline in terms of history and archaeology and uh, the love of the contemporary land, land management was, was born in that fashion. And so how do you end up moving to Shetland? So I was, so that was me, I, I was kind of set and that was all hunky-dory for a, for a few years and um, that, was, that was fine, a, a lot of a lot of archaeology and, and a bit of cricket, being the Englishman that I am. <laughs> and uh, and I saw I, I saw an advert for a, for a position in, in, in Shetland one day for uh, um, for an archaeologist. And during my time working on archaeological um, you know, fieldwork projects or excavations, I'd, I'd started to do a bit of uh, lecturing and teaching and, and leading you know a few walks and talks and. Um, just kind of pushing yourself a little bit, taking yourself out of just the nine to five and trying to trying to do a little bit extra. And, and the position that I saw advertised, it, it it was just one of those moments where you sort of read it and you thought, well, I do tick a lot of those boxes. I'm, I'll, I'll try for it, and I, and I really, you know, I should get an interview. And as someone who'd spent a lot of time, well, not a lot of time, but as kids, we'd always come to Scotland on on holiday. Like, I know it's you know, fairly informal thing. But that love of Scotland and, and Scottish islands was was extremely different, perhaps to the um, not not drawing a distinction between this, but very different to the sort of suburban Hitchin, where I was born, and the sort of city urban environment of, of Hull. So different landscapes, completely all of all of which have their you know plus points as far as I can see. So so I, I, I applied for the post. I'd, I'd never I'd never I'd never been Shetland before in my life. I, I knew obviously geographically speaking. From having kind of followed far too much football as a teenager, and you know you've got a good appreciation of, of you know geographically speaking where we're where we're heading here. Um, but yeah, and it, it was it was it was it was hilarious. So I came up and I thought, well, I'll take a couple of days prior to the interview and just scope it out, have a bit of a run about public transport, and um, just just go for a bit of a run, and uh, and and that was cool. But but the, the the classic Northern Isles uh, you know, tip of the United Kingdom landscape kicked in, whereby kind of mind which way round it was. I think the day the day so the day of the interview was just like blazing. It was just you know, cracking day. It would have been late April, May time. It's a perfect kind of spring, maybe you know mid mid teens. Um, lovely lovely day, and the preceding day was just apocalyptic. Of, of gales and sleet and, and rain, and I think I think for a lot of people, quite naturally, that would um, yeah, it's, it's it, it changes so quickly, and it's it's quite apart from having a, a land-based profession, a land-based occupation, it can be, it can be challenging enough, you know, getting out of your car to walk hundred yards to, to get a ferry can sometimes be when you pick up a hire car in Shetland. You guys will probably have had the same. You, one of the first things you see, I'm guessing they still do it. There's a, there's a little thing saying, 
remember if you're opening the doors in the wind, like two hands, mind. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so anyway, so yeah, so I applied for the job in Shetland, and um, I remember interview, interview went fine enough, and I, I hadn't heard. I was, so I was walking back towards the ferry, still hadn't heard. Kind of assuming that I, I wouldn't have got the position, but I, I remember calling my dad, and I was just walking back towards the ferry, and I said, you know, if they if they offered it me, I, I, yeah, I'd definitely take this. You know, this is a pretty cool place. I've just spent a few days here, but I, I started to get a few inklings about, you know, commu island, island communities and um, just the, the scale of things out here, but how it was quite forward looking. There was, there was, I mind going to the library and there was, there was kind of planning applications about, you know, bridges and tunnels and, and you know, maritime links to at the time to the Faroe Islands and on to Iceland. So I thought, you know, this is a, this is a dynamic community. This, this isn't a, you know, parochial backwater. This, this is, this is a pretty go ahead place. Um, and yeah, and the pos position came through. So I up sticks from, from East Yorkshire and uh, headed north in a little Vauxhall Corsa. And were you single at the time? Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was single. I had my little red Vauxhall Corsa and I, I, I rent, so I rented a flat for a, in, in Lerwick, in the in the in the centre centre of town, just to sort of get your bearings for for a wee while, and uh, I always remember one night I, I, I um, with the greatest respect to to Hull, I had a <laughs> steering lock that would always go on the car, and I came up to to Shetland after a few months, next door neighbour, and he obviously clocked that every every night I put the steering lock on, the force of habit thing, and he came out one day and he, he just he said, boy, where, where are they going to take it? <laughs> <laughs> so it's a very good point um so yeah no I, I was single when i moved up here and uh i uh yeah so rented this flat for a little bit and then fell in with a few people and ended up uh, renting a room right down at the south end of shetland for a year that's very close to the the, the airport and um there's a lot of, a lot of military history pertaining to the second world war in that landscape and that was that was a really kind of cool landscape that, that i've worked quite extensively in in the, in the years hence, um, and then then I fell in with a lady, and we we ended up coming to this island here to to Bressa, So, and how old were you when you came up? How old I was I when I came up? I was twenty five when I came up. Did it feel brave? It's quite a big thing to do to just drive north and move to an island. I think I think it was. Um, I heard a phrase the other day, and I'm sure someone said like 13, 13 year itch, fourteen year itch. And that was the first time I'd heard that phrase the other day. But when I was thinking about it, I'd, I'd moved to, I'd, I'd left, so I'd left home at, uh, what would I be, 17? Um, gone to, what would I be, 18? Anyway, gone to, gone to Hull, gone to, gone to Yorkshire, gone to university, postgraduate, and then working over the north of England with, with archaeological excavations. So, yeah, that would have been a kind of a 10-year, getting on for a 10-year block. Uh, and it just... Just it, it 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 didn't feel, yeah. It, it it just felt completely the right, the right thing to do. Yeah, you know there were, there was no ties as such, so that always makes, always makes it easy. And I I I've always liked the idea of just pushing yourself a little bit out of the comfort zone. Referencing you know what we spoke about a few minutes ago, and rather than just doing your nine to five, you'd you'd say okay, well I'll, I'll try and do a lecture. I'll I'll try and take a group of school kids or academics and we'll, 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 go, we'll do an archaeological walk or we'll do a historical walk so I felt I had a you know for, for what it was worth a few strings to the bow that could 
lend themselves to to island life. So no, I, 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 I wouldn't, I wouldn't have said, I wouldn't have said brave. That was a, just a fascination, I think. I, I was, so the first winter, it was, so it was a couple of, it's a very British thing, a couple of weather-related stories. So we, we came, we came up, or I came up, sorry, uh, through May. So you, you're getting on to, you know, this time of year, it can be, you know, phenomenally pleasant. And we, I had to do a job for the, the water board. Water board were putting in a, a pipeline in the island of Fula. So that's the island 30 miles west of Shetland, out in the Atlantic, near the sort of continental shelf, maybe about 25 people or so on that, that live there. Uh, so you've got to take a plane to, to get to the island. It's either a 20 minute plane or a, or a two and a half hour ferry crossing. So you can do it like a day trip. So I, I went into this island um, to do a, a very kind of standard archaeological job. You've got, you've got a map and a piece of paper and it says, right, well, we want to put a pipeline with diggers and excavators from, from A to B. Um, so you walk that A to B and if there's, I don't know, for simplicity's sake, a Viking longhouse or a Neolithic cairn, you say, well, hang on, guys, you know, can we microsite this or can we do... So I started doing this job. Of course, there's no one. You, you land on the plane, a couple of people milling about to pick up groceries or whatever from the plane, and then everyone... But like a cartoon, everyone just vanishes. It's not a big island; it's maybe like three, three, three by three miles, something like that. And uh, just, but just one single track road, A to B, up and down. That's all it is. And so I started to do this job, and then, and then I started getting dive bombed by these enormous birds I'd never seen before in my life. Latterly, you know, that's just a you tell that story to someone in Shetland. It's just hilarious. So there's these great skewers. Great skewers or the bunksies in, in local parlance, which, uh, yeah, very, very, very large birds, but can be quite aggressive, quite territorial in the spring and into the summer months. Moorland breeding birds, and of course, that sort of remote island was very, you know, it's just like dozens, if not hundreds, of these breeding species. And Johnny Englishman is walking up this single track road, uh, you know, six foot one or, or whatever, and it's a bit of a target, and so these birds are dive bombing so I get the job done as quickly as, as quickly as possible but there's still sort of eight hours before the plane comes and gets back and it is it's it's a bit sort of like you felt behind enemy lines and you were so I saw I sought refuge in a post-medieval planty crop which is a dry stone structure for the for the growing of kale historically for, for brassicas yeah. as these birds were just kind of coming in overhead that was yeah that was a quite the welcome uh, yeah absolutely it can be it can, that, that yeah that was that yeah, i felt brave that day yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so tell me about this place where you mean you've said right at the start you know where we are but what is it what was it to you when you bought it and how did you make the decision to come here so so we're at garth's croft um which is uh, now it's 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 probably a be getting on for a yeah, probably pushing yeah 40 45 acre um small holding i, I suppose a croft um small small holding and so quite so, so yeah so where, where we where we where we rear livestock where we grow crops where we build dry stone walls to try and mitigate for the the worst of the autumnal and, and winter gales so we can plant trees and shrubs and bushes and, and create a sort of positive biodiversity or biodiverse environment but it's, it's essentially an agricultural holding 
And so I'd had that interest in agriculture prior to moving to Shetland. And when I moved to this island, I, I thought, you know, I want to kind of step it up a notch, push yourself a little bit. And I went along to, so there's a semantic difference between a crofter and a farmer in, in, in my head, uh, which would be that you know, a crofter has, has multiple hats, as it were. Crofts, I guess, you've got to be careful of overly romanticising this, but crofts were born from the sort of era of subsistence agriculture, you know, small parcels of land and you, you needed to, to produce. But by and large today, you know, a, a, a crofter would have more than one form of income, more than one form of employment. Whereas farmers, again, my, in my interpretation, that's, you know, that's the primary employment. You, you sink or swim on your, your livestock, your crops, um, and your payments and, and, and so on and so forth. But so there are, there are, there are a couple of farms in the island that are, are full-time entities. And I, I went along quite soon after moving to this island and I, I said to one of the guys, I said, I'd like to come and um, volunteer at your, at, your, at your lambing. You know, I knew it'd be quite intensive, you know, a thousand odd sheep and said I'd like to come and, you know, I'll take, take a fortnight's holiday from my, from my professional archaeological world with the museum and I'll come and come and volunteer to you, I'd, I'd be interested in that. And he said, well, no, that's, that's fine, you can, um, you can come, but, um, but you're not going to be volunteering. And I sort of oh, took a little bit. And he said, uh, you're going to be working and I'm going to pay you because you're going to be working. And that, that, I think that, that, that's always stayed with me. That was a really good phrase. Um, not that I would have, I'm not the kind of person that would coast it anyway. If you turn up at a thousand sheep farm, you know, it's, it really doesn't help if you, yeah, take two hour tea breaks and, and that kind of thing. But so 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 I so I started to get to again to, to get experience to push yourself a little bit to to learn how to lamb to to, to shear to to deal with the absolute myriad of problems that sheep can sometimes have, and that was that was really positive. So so for the next couple of years, I I I'd have that relationship and I'd I'd go and work. I think nine years would go and work at their at their lambings, and then I'd get the odd call or text, you know, if they were needing an extra pair of hands every day, and if I could work it in with my other jobs, that was cool, and I tend to go. So you picked up a lot of, you know, agricultural experience, livestock experience, just through being with these people that had done it all their lives, their fathers, and, you know, their families had done it, hitherto. Um, and so somebody had said to me this, and I, I, I'd, at the time, I, I'd always made these statements, oh, you know, it'd be, it'd be cracking to have to have a bit that you could call your own and you could undertake management and you'd make mistakes, but you could come ahead and you could you could specialise in a particular breed or whatever you wanted to do to make your impact. And but that that was that was a hard aspect because land would tend to go with families and, and parcels of land would tend to get handed from one to another. Not exclusively, but it perhaps isn't like a property market down the road where you know, houses would go up in value and buy, sell, buy. There seemed to be that kind of merry-go-round that, that didn't exist here. So getting on the getting on the ladder was quite a was quite a challenge. Um, but somebody once said to me, they said, "If you want, you, you you need to show you're interested. Just keep showing you're interested, and and an opportunity will come." And there was a um, I'd I'd actually come where we're sitting now at Garth's Croft. Uh, I'd actually come here to. To shear sheep one day 
through the summer just helping out a fella. Because I, I used to work on his boat. He, he would take visitors and tourists out around uh, Nos, which is a national nature reserve to the, the east side of, of this island. And, um, and then, and then he, he left Shetland and then his, his wife left Shetland and they got in touch with us. Uh, me and my, my partner at the time, now wife, and they said, "Well, we're, we're thinking. Well, we're thinking of selling this croft and, and and the house, and we know you're interested. This is what the price is. We'll give you, I think, I give it two or three weeks, and after that, they said, you know, we're gonna it'll go on the open market. But there you go, first refusal. So that, yeah, if ever something concentrated the mind of, of saying, okay, well, this is going to be a significant decision because this will this will mean we'll we'll put anchors down, we'll put we'll put roots down. Uh, but yeah, so so we so we went ahead with that and we purchased our first time I purchased anything more as a as a trailer, I think, and uh, bought the house. And the, the beauty with this was that the I suppose from a from the first time landowner point of view was that the the, the croft house so the sort of post-medieval stone-built croft house is, is surround it's kind of in a square and the, and the croft house sits in the middle of that square and the land surrounds it so rather than having to sort of drive 20 minutes up the road to see that your sheep are still the right way up you've got a good visual every morning when you come out with your feeding hens or watering plants or whatever you're doing you just you you develop this habit it's funny my wife said to me this morning i came in and, and she was obviously with the with the baby and she said is everyone is everyone is everyone okay this morning all the animals okay and i said yeah 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 i think so and they were but it, you're looking but you're not looking like you don't deliberately you're not looking at you know 80 odd sheep and saying are you okay are you okay are you okay but you you start to get a reading of the land or the landscape or th you know when something's wrong. You can see if there's a sheep limping. You can see if there's a lamb on the road. You can see if, um, uh, yeah, you can see if a, the dog isn't where it should be, as we're looking at her now. And uh, so, so yeah, so we we purchased this croft, and and from that, yeah, exactly, it's, it's like, exactly as the wise man said, other opportunities came, and so a neighbour in Croft has said to us, you know. Would we be interested in, in grazing his land? And then last summer, another adjoining parcel of, of land came up. So, you know, it, it's not by any stretch of the imagination uh, large in terms of area, and it's not by any stretch of the imagination uh, fertile, verdant, rolling fields in, in terms of uh, land quality, but it's, but it's home, and it enables you to make your contribution to kind of cast your cast your cast your dice and see how they fall and um and uh yeah try and try and come ahead hey there it's michelle norris i'm host of a podcast called your mama's kitchen when i travel i'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when i'm not at home and one of the things i love to do when i am at home is entertain and Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have 
and Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. So from a few different angles, what is your life like now in terms of what do you do on a day-to-day basis? And frankly, how do you make money? Is that you've got a job here and a job there and is this a hobby or does it all work? So... So Hello, Bryn. I um Bryn's here. <laughs> <laughs> Welsh Welsh collie, the Welsh sheepdogs come to say hello. So so technically I I have a number of I have a number of roles. Uh, I'm still a professional archaeologist. Obviously the past twelve months with um, kind of museum related work and pretty extensive furlough periods as as uh, it's been it's been challenging, it's been challenging for far, far, far more people than, than I have. I've I've been in frankly a bizarre but strange position where you know being off you know getting getting an income being told to stay at home and um, on an ag you know on a farm where which always needs work which always needs improvement so being able to undertake uh, you know a significant number of of improvements of a lot of dry stone works and so on but yeah so normally I'm an archaeologist involved in the um, curating the promotion and the interpreting should we say of the historical landscape in Shetland from Neolithic homesteads to Iron Age brochs these large defensive towers to Viking longhouses to post-medieval crofting townscapes and settlements so that that I suppose that's my that's my principal that's my professional background and my principal form of 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 income and employment but then in addition to that and I think this is something not unique, but more common within island communities is, is, is just the ability and the, should you be so willing to, to wear a number of different hats. So I, I'm also a, a firefighter, a retained firefighter in the, in the island of, of Bressa here. So we, we're a small team and we have a, an appliance, fire appliance, on behalf of Scottish Fire and Rescue Service, so it means that you know, like uh, last like last week when an automatic alarm went off and uh, a smoke alarm, and and we we have pages that go off, and we we, we provide a community service, um, a quite a quite flexible community service, I think, because you know it can be anything from fire to um, you know road incidences to to first aid. Um, so so it's. And obviously we're, we're we're peripheral in terms of there's a body of water needed to to get to us, so so we form that that first line of defence if there's an emergency. But you know we're the ones that are going to get the shout, which which is quite hard in a small community. I think if you it's one of the mental th- mental bridges you've got to cross is that you could be faced with a situation, or you will be faced with a situation that you know these people. You, you could be given first aid. You could be attending to their their house. They could they could be in absolutely dire need. Um, but you provide that that community service, and and that's always been a that, that that's been a big motivating factor. I, I like knowing who my neighbours are. I like them knowing who I am. I like being able to sort of wave to them across the proverbial agricultural fence and. Um, 
and and um, yeah, so we've got we've got really fine neighbours here, and so they they they're, they're looking out for us as well. They they know if so. For example, you know we 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 breed a lot of pigs up until recently, and you know we'd have pigs and they'd they'd go off to the abattoir, and uh, I'd get a text and uh, from one of our neighbours saying just just checking, you know, pigs haven't escaped, everything's everything's all right, you know. So so I think some um, I I did have a, a, a partner who um. You know, I think you can be oppressive because even though you've got this expanse of space, I mean, where we're looking at now, we can probably at a push, we can probably see, I know, five miles to the top of that hill over there. It's big expanses of space, a landscape born of, you know, geology and quite extreme weather uh, to the extent that, you know, we haven't got we haven't got forests, we haven't got trees. So, you know, you can see a good you can see a good distance and people can see you from a good distance. And uh I think you have to be wired in a certain way to find peace with that because you can very easily have a perception of, oh, they're, they're looking at me, they're, they're thinking, oh, and he's late for the ferry again, or thinking, oh, what's that lady coming back to in, in, in his car? Where are they going? Married man, you know. So I think you've got to be, um, you've got to have a bit of a, a bit of a thick skin. But I, I, I enjoy that. I enjoy, and, and that's perhaps coming from, that's maybe born of a, you know, a, a, a suburban upbringing, and then spending a lot of time in a city where there, there is that degree of anonymity, and and that's 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 fine. That's cool. That's that's what what it is for a lot of people. But I think I, I think I crave something different. I think I like to be within a a body of people, and I'm not, I'm not naive enough to say that it's all beer and skittles but I, I i i like that notion that somebody can not not yeah be averse to picking up a phone or sending you a message saying that they need a hand uh, and i like being in a position where i could do the same yeah i'd imagine it gives you a real sense of purpose because you know community is something i think we're losing on the mainland i'd argue and it's becoming as we get more digitally connected, we become more socially disconnected, whereas it seems the opposite here. Uh, yeah, that, that, that's, a, that's a really good point. There, there, there's, there's, there's obviously big drives about working from home and, and um, you know, pushing, pushing uh, broadband speeds and, 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 you know, as there should be. But especially with land-based professions, I, I think we always need to... We're social animals. We need to be. I think if we spend too much time with just our own company, I think madness lies within. I think it's. I think it's good to. I think it's. Yeah, you, you're never going to get on with everyone, but I think it's good to have a. I mean, you know, there's, there's about 300 people in in this island, and I, you know, if not by name, vast majority by name, but if not by name, by by sight, you're you're, you're seeing them. You're looking at them because you know this island funnels you to a position which is a ferry which is if you need to get off the island for for not all, not all your shopping but your you know shopping or supplies or, or whatever you need to do you're interacting with people and that's that, that's that's great that that's that's absolutely wonderful because um especially if you're going on foot i mean you can just take a vehicle on and drive on and stay in your stay in your little cocoon but it's like it's it's roulette. You don't know who you're going to meet on that ferry. Uh, 
it'll, well, it'll be somebody who'll be resident on the island. So you're falling in with people, you're passing the time of day, you're, you're interacting, you're, you know, for a finite period of time. But, and whilst you're making that crossing, you're also having a bit of a, uh, you know, there's a, there's a, it's not just a, a physical crossing. There's a, there's an emotional boundary as well. You're, you're, I, I always thought this when you know my my principal place of work was an office in in Lerwick, and you you take the boat, you take the ferry, home, and yeah, you you were you were you were drawing a line. It's like right, this is my, this is this is my this is my home. This is where I, uh, you know. I undertake my creative practices, you might say. Um, so I think it's very positive. But no, I mean, I, I, I like the notion that. So, for example, last year, just a week or so after being furloughed, and there's a there's a lovely couple that that technically are neighbours for us, even though they're maybe half a mile or so away, and um, they have a lot of these dry stone walls that surround their house. I don't know, maybe maybe a hundred years old, something like that. And time and metaphorical tide had taken their toll on this. Drystone wall had collapsed almost into the the road, the sort of single track road that runs through through this island. And uh, the gentleman got in touch. He, you know, he's in, in his eighties. He's he's not going to be lugging about ten tons of stone. And he said, you know, would you be able to? Um, I think I think he just said, would you be able to look to it? And we just left it at that. And I didn't, didn't speak to him for months. So I just went and built up the dike or built the, the, the slap in the dike. So a, a dike up, up, in, up in Shetland is, a, is an upstanding a dry stone wall as opposed to a, a East Yorkshire sense where I was kind of uh, spent a lot of time where it's kind of a ditch or in East Anglia, I guess where you're from, you know, yeah. you, you have the sort of, uh, you have the dikes as well. But um, so, yeah, I, I just went to sort to sort that. And I, I, I like the fact that he wasn't averse about asking and I, you know, if there's something he, if I could do, you know, we'd, we'd, we'd just speak, we just... But I think that's rare now. The idea that somebody could say, please, can you spend two months on and off of your time building my wall over a two-minute conversation? It almost seems lunacy. It, well, but that's really interesting, but, and it's maybe a reflection of... of it's 15 years I've, I've been here now. Um, but to me, like, lunacy would absolutely not be... The adjective that I would, that I would, I would use, and I'm kind of, yeah, I'm, 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 I'm at peace and I'm happy with that's, that is, that is as it should be. Um, somebody once said to me in in the Shetland, they said, you know, if if you want to work, if you want to keep busy, you, you'll never be out of work. Somebody will. Um, it sounds quite as a blasé statement, but I think if you're if you're a kind of creative soul and if you're willing to to push yourself a little bit, to, you know, um, have a bit of an adventure in life, you, you will, you will find fulfillment that way. And it's, yeah, it, it, it's at the same time, it's hideously challenging. And certainly up until recently, we've, we've just given up breeding the pigs because we've, we've had a, uh, a pity lass, as you'd say, up in these parts, we've had a, a, a young daughter. Um, but yeah, up until recently, it's the, it's the daylight that I found not not challenging, but just, you know, awestruck by how, how that works. So in that, you know, middle of winter, as I say, you're getting on for midwinter, end of December, and, uh, it, you know, you get a fine day and it's blazing blue sun, or blue skies at, um, you know, two o'clock in the afternoon. 
but by half three it's it's pitch black and it's it's just bang it's just how it how it changes so quickly uh, and the and the you know converse is true in the mornings you know it isn't really getting light until gone gone nine o'clock it's kind of all this, almost this perpetual twilight some days and so my but my day would always start at, I don't know get up at about half four ish and then five ish you'd be you'd be doing your you know a couple of hours rounds various lot you know in the winter so various lots of pigs needing fed breeding stuff in terms of the sheep the um that's the time when the ram is in with the ewes so their welfare is absolutely critical because you need them to be in good health so that they conceive and ideally they have they have twins and you're doing this in a, in a head torch and suddenly a sort of half ton boar saddleback boar just appears at your face out of the looming you know black black pig black morning little head torch and suddenly these eyes are a foot and he's he can shift and he's got a bit of weight behind him <laughs> and you're, you're there with your little bucket of bananas and uh, hoping that placates him and and so you're you're, you're doing all that and then you're then you're going in having a wash and then, and then you're going to your you're going to your work your your day job and then you're coming back from your day job and you're doing the same again in the pitch black and that sounds lunacy to a, probably to a significant number of people. That 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 no, you're not you're not wide white. You want to come back and stick the news on. And um, but I guess it depends who you are, eh? I mean, it sounds like you you sound very purposeful, and it sounds like the living a life that that is full of conscious like chosen hardship. Living life in the extremes is actually really good for you. I think. Willing ties. I've used the phrase "willing ties" a few uh, quite quite recently, and obviously, my you know, family as such, in terms of parents and um, you know, extended family, uh, are all in England. And it's, I think, as soon as soon as soon as you get a dog, that's 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 a, that's <laughs> a tie. But then when you 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 start to amass intentionally uh, various livestock. Uh, Especially livestock that can't be left for any length of time. Sheep is one thing, but pigs is certainly something different. As as you find out, as you you know, as you as you uh, kind of engage with these subjects. So it's um, yeah, a, wi- a willing tie because you can't just up sticks and say right, Tenerife for a fortnight. Then is it? <laughs> you know, you're you're. So I th- I think the only time in the past. I mean, obviously. The past 12 months have been uh, um, you know challenging but I think I was in I, I was in Inverness in last October for for a fire course for a Scottish fire and rescue course it was for a, a breathing apparatus course a fortnight and it was the first time I'd been off Shetland forever and 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 so it was a fortnight in Inverness a fortnight of bloody hard work you know you were in very challenging conditions in, in, in smoke houses with breathing apparatus gear on and, uh, you know, putting out fires, smoke, physically, very, very, very demanding. Um, but it, it, just, it just felt, yeah, m- magical. It, it gave you that contrast that, now this, this is great, it's great being somewhere else. I, I mind, you know, I took myself off, obviously I'm, I was on my own, everyone was on their own because of COVID. Um, I just went down Loch Ness and ended up in Glen Eteve and Glencoe for that kind of weekend, the weekend off, as you might say, and just went trekking there for the weekend. 
And I thought, oh, this is this is magical. This is fantastic. But I, I need to be, I need to be here. Well, this, this is where my, this is where my sort of expertise is. This is where my, where my, where my life is. This, and this stuff needs doing, man. <laughs> yeah. So last question then. Does this feel like it's you? You know, um, archaeologist, firefighter, crofter. Are those the are labels? Those, are those the defining? I, I, I think it's, it's engaging and it's heartening that in, in this kind of community, you're not, you're not defined by, uh, you're not defined by a post or a position. Uh, you're defined by who you are. You're defined by if you, if, if someone can feel that you can pick up the phone and, and send you a message or, or phone you up and say, I've got this dry stone wall that's fallen over and they feel at ease to do that. I think I think that's the that's the that that hits the button for me that you're not Johnny works in a shop or Janie works in a bank. You can be uh yeah, it's it's about who you are and uh and yeah, so that's why that's why Shetland is home and England's always home as well, of course, but but Shetland will be home. Absolutely. Excellent. We'll leave it there. Thank you very much. Thanks for your time, Matt. Thanks for listening. The Adventure Podcast is hosted by Matt Pycroft and is a Cold House production produced and distributed by Orla O'Murray and Alex Hall. For more information, you can keep up to date on Instagram at The Adventure Podcast or email us at info at theadventurepodcast.co.uk if you want to say hi, have some feedback or have a guest suggestion. <laughs>